Welcome to Bright Spot, a podcast about the best practices for parents and clinicians who support teenagers going through mental health challenges while trying to manage school. Your hosts are Chris Schutzer, a school-based clinician in Massachusetts, and Lindsay Yamaguchi, also a school-based clinician in Massachusetts. In a dark time, we're here to help you find a bright spot. This podcast represents the opinions of the hosts and guests to the show Bright Spot. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Privacy is of utmost importance to us. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect patient confidentiality. If you or your child is in a crisis, please call 911 or visit your nearest emergency department. If you're not in immediate danger but would like to speak with someone, you can reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Today's Bright Spot podcast explores some basics about anxiety, exposure therapy, and the difficulties parents face when helping their children to use exposure therapy in school. On to the show. Hi, Lindsay. Hey, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm okay. I'm starting to think about getting back into work and exposing myself to some anxiety. That's an interesting segue you just threw my way, and I am feeling the same way. I mean, I'm finding myself here at the end of August and just going through all those getting ready for school opportunities and you know, new students and all the things that we have to think about. But we wanted to talk to our listeners today a little bit, I think, about some of the challenges that come with when kids are facing anxiety and namely some of the things that maybe their parents think a lot about, about, you know, enabling versus exposure therapy and and all sorts of stuff like that. Does that sound like a good thing to talk about today? That sounds great. And I think it's probably really relevant, like you said, to this time of year as students are trying to get ready to go back to school, families are trying to get into the routine again. So yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Let's talk. I was hoping that you would let me start just by talking a bit about some of the misnomers about anxiety, just in general, that I found having done this job for a number of years. But I'm kind of hoping you're going to interrupt me and agree or disagree as I go. You got Um, it. I, you know, I think one of the things that's really interesting about anxiety is that people immediately assume it's a negative thing. And I think it's because our experience of anxiety is often so crappy. But in truth, I think the reason that most humans have it is really understandable and it's useful just to talk about it for a second. When I get a new student, I often give them what I call the caveman speech. And here it is. The idea is that if you are the caveman that sees bare footprints outside of your cave and you decide to stay up all night to protect your family, just in the event that there's the possibility that the bear is still there, then in that one time out of a thousand that the bear was there, you're able to rally your family and get them to safety, which is a really good thing. So if you then go on and have 19 children, all of those kids might have that gene where they're going to be like, if I, if I get nervous about something, then I'm going to stay up all night and I'm going to protect my family for my safety. And I think in reality, 
I don't know if you would agree or disagree, that is a useful understanding about why humans can get anxious about things. If we see something that scares us or puts us on warning in some way, even if the danger is no longer real, it's the kind of thing that can make us have a lot of intense feelings. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, as people, we we have survival instinct, right? And so that makes me think of, yeah, just doing anxiety like any other emotion is a function and has a function and it it helps us survive in a lot of cases. But I think, you know, as you said, it can be something that even when it doesn't no longer serve sort of a survival function can still play out in people's minds and bodies. And it's helpful to understand that, I think, when you're trying to understand your anxiety. And I think this is actually what we wanted to talk about today is, you know, what we see, you and I, in our roles in transition programs in school. And I think what parents really probably want to hear from us today about um, is the ways that, you know, this useful thing that's built into people's DNA can now get in the way of kids going to school or mm -hmm. get in the way of their being their best selves in school, whatever mm -hmm. that's going to be. It's not that hard to say, you know, you wake up and, you're fe and you have this intense feeling about a test, or maybe you don't even know why you're having this feeling. You're just, you just feel like you can't do something. And it's easier to say, I won't, right? And then all of a sudden, anxiety turns into avoidance and it gets in our way and it stops us from being whatever it is that we wanted to be down the line. Yeah, absolutely. I think in my role, anxiety is one of the the most prevalent things I see kids struggle with. And it's really hard as a parent, right? Because you see your child in pain and you don't want to make them do something that you know they're really, really afraid of doing. So I think it becomes a really hard balance for families. So I think it might be good, actually, if we just make sure that our listeners have a good grip on some of the terminology we're using. They're going to hear us talk a lot about exposure therapy today. Do you want to take a crack at trying to explain how exposure therapy works and what it is? Sure. So the idea around exposure therapy is that if you are slowly and you know gradually exposed to the thing that you're afraid of, that your kind of nervous system, your your body will habituate to it and you will not be as afraid anymore. So let me give you an example. So suppose a student, well, let's see, let me back up. Suppose you're afraid of spiders. And when you see a spider, it's not like you just sort of scream and run out of the room. It's like it derails your whole day. Like you see the spider, you get very flooded with emotions, you can't go to work that day. You're up at night worrying about spiders. It really, really affects your life and your functioning. So what someone might do in exposure therapy is, you know, very gradually expose you to spiders. And that might start with just talking about spiders and then thinking about how your body is feeling. And then you might move on to then seeing a picture of a spider, but it's, it's very, very slow until you could get to the point where you're able maybe to even like touch a spider. 
and your body is okay and it doesn't impact your functioning. So yeah, simply it's just exposing yourself to the thing you're afraid of. Because the idea is, is that our nervous systems, like no feeling is going to last forever, right? So we may have a spike of anxiety, but if we allow ourselves to kind of stay in the presence of the thing that we're nervous about, we will calm down eventually and our bodies will learn that whatever that thing is, um, you, you don't have to be so afraid of it. You know what's interesting is that you chose to talk about spiders and I feel like we as clinicians all probably have our own thing that we use to explain this one. And I actually got a little wave of like, ah, anxiety, as you mentioned spiders. And, you know, for me, I often use fear of as in the way that I would talk about exposure. And it was really helpful for me to listen to that. So, you know, specifically though, for parents, it's got to be really hard, though, to watch your kid become afraid of things that you've seen them be able to do for years, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, you find yourself with a ninth grader, just as a random example here, and your kid's been able to go to elementary school, and maybe there were some bad days in middle school, but they kept going. And then all of a sudden, it feels like, wait, now we're putting the brakes on this, and, and school is really scary. What would you say to a parent in a situation like that about, like, why we need to try exposure? Yeah, I mean, I think really what's really important when your child is afraid of going to school or they don't want to go to school is to really first try to understand why. So is it that there's something that they're trying to avoid at school? Is it that there's something at home that's going on that they're like, they can't leave the house because they're worried something might happen if they leave the house? So really is it that they're afraid of school or they're afraid of leaving home? And those are kind of two different things, right? And that can dictate sort of how how you proceed with exposure therapy. I think the thing for parents to understand is like nobody wants to expose a student so much that they become so flooded with emotion that then that sets them back, right? So you want to kind of work with your team at school and work with people to, and the student, obviously they have, they're the most important voice in it to think about like what pace makes sense. So here in Beacon at Lincoln Sudbury, which is where I work, I often tell parents that the pace that we're going to go is the pace that the kid wants to go mm-hmm. and can handle. And maybe that's a better way to say it is that they can handle. Mm-hmm. And for some students, that means that the first day they're really here for the whole day. And the plan is that we're going to take it slow in this building over the course of that day. They won't go to any classes. Maybe they'll meet with their teachers. Maybe they'll just be in our space. But for other kids, we literally start with 20 minutes and we'll say, can you come in for 20 minutes today? And I won't even talk to you unless you raise your hand at me, in which case, like, then I'll pull you and we can we can have a conversation. But otherwise, your job is just to be in the space. I think Um, that's so great, Chris, because, you know, anxiety can feel so out of control that giving kids some control over the plan and kind of what they're going to do can be really helpful. Yeah. So parents, like any way you can help engage your child in helping to come up with the plan of exposure, I think probably would have a better outcome. Whenever the student's involved, it usually has a better outcome. And 
you know, the, the more people avoid kind of the harder it's going to be. So I agree, Chris, I think as a parent, if your child is really afraid to go to school, even 20 minutes in school is better than not being in school. Even getting in the car and driving to the school and driving around is better than not coming to the school. Having a Zoom call with somebody from the school staff, any sort of way to expose the child to school is a win in my book and is moving forward. And so I think, you know, as a parent, it's probably really hard to like your your expectation might be different, right? That that your child's going to make a lot of progress in a day, in a week, in a month, but celebrate the the small steps. Celebrate the small wins for sure. I love what you just said. And actually, I'm going to use it as a little bit of a segue. I think that a lot of times parents will tell me that they're worried about enabling their kids, right? It's kind of like if their expectation is that they're going to be able to go to college one day, it can feel really icky to be like, and now Johnny's not even going to school. Mm -hmm. like, like, what do I do about that? Johnny's laying in bed and telling me no. So, you know, I feel like if I just leave the room, I'm kind of enabling Johnny. Mm -hmm. So can you talk to me a little bit about what maybe advice you've got for parents about enabling? And maybe I'll chime in too as you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think as parents, it's our job to keep the big picture in mind, right? Like, it's our job to to see the forest through the trees and it can be feel like really counterintuitive to just be in the moment as a parent and not worry about how this is affecting things down the road, college, the big, you know, the big picture. But I think as much as parents, as much as you can try to stay in the moment, um, that will be the most helpful for your child. And just because they're having trouble now getting to school does not necessarily mean they're not going to go to college. I've had plenty of students, so many students, I've been doing this for almost 20 years, who had a really hard time getting to school, who struggled with anxiety, depression, you name it, you know. High school was not the place where they flourished, and they are out in the world living their lives they have jobs, they have, you know, they've gone to college, they've done all the things. So I think getting help as early as possible is like the best probably predictor that, that your child will be able to do better later in life. So one thing that I've noticed is that parents will often take on the problem for kids, right? And so it's like, we will knock the dominoes down so far down the chain that we're saying if Johnny doesn't go to school, to your point, all these things won't happen. Um, it's a trap, I feel, that parents will often face because, you know, I'm yet to meet the parent that doesn't want the best for their kid. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it can be really easy to try to own the problem for Johnny, right? Mm -hmm. And I keep using Johnny. I apologize. Mostly <laughs> just because I needed a name. Or, yeah. <laughs> or Susie. Or... Today, it's Johnny. So. You know, Johnny, Johnny's stuck in bed and Johnny's struggling. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes Johnny is throwing things and sometimes Johnny's yelling at parents and sometimes Johnny is, is cursing. And, and I think it's important just to be real about this because the reality is that can be so hard mm -hmm. to be the parent facing that trap where if you say, 
you know, no, Johnny, I don't care. You're going to school. Then in some ways it can feel like, oh, well, Johnny's going to interpret. You don't love me or you're not listening. Mm -hmm. or you don't get it. But mm -hmm. if you get it so, so much so that you leave the room and you say, all right, Johnny, I'm going to let you go back to sleep now. Then we, then we get to this territory of like, is it enabling? Yeah. And what I think parents need most of all in that moment is to remember you care. And that's a good thing, right? You love Johnny and you're trying to help Johnny, but whose problem is this? Yeah. Yeah, right? that's, a, that's a really good question. And, and it's a tension. I think there's no sort of correct answer, right? But I think about, you know, I have two kids, they're older now, but I think about when they were toddlers and they were having tantrums. And I'm not equating anxiety to a tantrum, but I think similarly, as like a toddler needs boundaries and limit setting, I think you know, teenagers who are struggling with anxiety also need limit setting and boundaries, not in a punitive way, but as like really as a caring holding environment, right? So a teenager with anxiety is feeling so out of control and is feeling like they can't do anything right. And I think they need the adults in their lives to sort of help set some limits and, and containment. And so that might look like as a caring parent, you saying like, I get that you're really struggling and you really don't want to go to school and we're going to work with the school to figure out X, Y, and Z. And we're going to start getting you back to school little by little. That's what's going to be helpful to you in the long run. And, you know, as a parent, like it's my job to, to take care of you. I don't think it's a, you're not being a mean, bad parent <laughs> to, to sort of set that limit and say, no, really, like, you have to try, you have to get up, even if it's for 20 minutes, and someone is going to be at school to support you, but you have to go. And if you don't go, then we have to think about sort of more treatment for you, or maybe, you know, I, I don't know. What that means, right? Yeah. And yeah. So you gave me another segue. I love how you're you're passing the ball in this way. <laughs> you made it about school and about the partnership that we can have with parents. And you know what? I think our listeners, most of them are probably going to be parents. Maybe we'll get a few kids and maybe we'll get a few other teachers or, or clinicians or whatever. But I want to focus on the parents today. Mm -hmm. Parents, the number one thing that I hope you take away from this is that I hope you're getting that we understand it at least a little, right? We're never going to understand the specifics of what you see and face because we're not there, but we're always going to be listening. And, and people like Lindsay and me, our job is to become partners of yours in this, right? And so success looks different for every kid. And what I think everybody needs is just to be on the same page communication wise. Yeah. So if you're seeing something that worries you, talk to us, send us that email where, you know, there's a good chance that maybe we won't have the right answer, but at least we'll be able to offer some suggestions and, maybe, you know, get on the ground level with Johnny and, and see if we can see what Johnny is willing to do. Like, Johnny, are you willing to come maybe after school for 15 minutes? Or Johnny, are you willing to come during a block where you know that no one's going to be walking the halls so that we can guarantee that you can come in in a quiet space? Johnny, are you willing to come in and, and literally the only thing that you're going to do is or who's your favorite teacher, Johnny? What if I had your favorite teacher waiting for you? You know, those types of things that we can try to do in order to make this work and, and help use that exposure model. Yeah, I, I love, love, love when parents call me bright and early in the morning, 
7.05 saying, you know, I'll, I'll use another name. Natalie won't get up out of bed. Like, what do I do? I'm fed up. I love when parents, I mean, I don't love it. I feel for parents, but, but I think it's a really good way for parents to, to manage their own anxiety, to reach out and to, to get some help, right. To call and vent and, you know, cry and scream on the phone about how frustrated they are because I, I, it is incredible. I imagine it's incredibly frustrating when you probably have other kids at home, when you're trying to get to work, when, you know, the chaos of the morning is happening and you just need your child to like get up and out and they're not able to do that. So I love when, and I'm sorry for interrupting you, but especially because, and I'm going to kick it back to where we started. One of avoidance's biggest tools that will, that we as humans will use is we'll always say it's going to be easier tomorrow. Right? Mm. So kids will promise their parents every time I'll do it tomorrow. I will go to school tomorrow. I'm ready tomorrow. I just can't do it right now. We make this deal with ourselves, with our, with our future self. Like that's when I'm going to take it on. And I genuinely believe that kids believe that they're going to be able to do it. And then the morning rolls around and guess what? I can't. And now as the parent, that's so frustrating to be like, no, we made a deal. Now I'm angry. Uh (laughs) Sometimes it's really important to take a step back and just be like, all right, what's the model? We're embracing the exposure model. Mm -hmm. What can we do right now that we can grow upon? Right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah, when parents call me in the morning frustrated, I love getting on the phone with their student and like you said trying to talk about how to move them forward in any sort of way in a way that makes them feel comfortable but not too comfortable, right? Because it it is true that, you know, they're they're going to experience some anxiety in the exposure model. It's and that's like you said not a bad thing. It's an, it's an emotion that we all experience. It's not going to last forever. It's not going to harm anyone, right? Teenagers, everyone, we all have to experience anxiety. And, you know, I like to say to parents and to students too, you're right. Like avoiding something, avoiding coming to school does feel really good. <laughs> like in the moment, it does feel really good. You, you don't have to face what you're afraid of. But in the long run, that second day when you wake up, you probably feel worse. You know, it probably feels worse in the long run. Yeah. Hey, mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but I'm going to admit a truth. I played hooky a couple times when I was in middle and high school. No. Yeah. And guess what? (laughs) I totally agree with you, Lindsay, because sometime around 1.30 when The Price is Right was on, I'd be like, crap. All the homework that I have been avoiding is still there. And now there's a whole day of school that I've just missed and it's just been added to. And so I think, you know, the reason I bring this up is because kids face so much, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it will feel better for a little bit and then it'll feel so much worse. Mm -hmm. And that's where the ownership of the problem becomes so sticky. Mm -hmm. So we want to be your allies, folks. That's our goal. I want to bring up one more thing on this before we start to transition to some closing thoughts, but one of the other things I often push parents for is I want to be the intermediary when Johnny's in school, right? Mm -hmm. What I like to say to parents and to Johnny, I'll say it right to Johnny's face is no sneaky exits, dude. If you go home, I'm going to understand, but let's make it, let's make it a thing that we decided on together. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I often find that kids will want to just leave. And if they involve the program, if they just, if they are texting in class and they can get straight to the parents and get picked up, that is the easiest way to find instant relief. But it often violates the 
exposure model. Uh, and, that, and that can be challenging because to your point, that can actually feel like a step back where then later we feel like we can't. Yeah, I think it's really important in the exposure model to go, you have to go for it to work, you have to go through the thing that's hard. And your body has to sort of experience like your nervous system has to get a little amped up. And then you have to stay in that long enough to go through your nervous system sort of naturally coming back down so that your body and your mind get the signals like, oh, I went through this really hard thing, but then it was okay. So if you kind of, if you bail in the middle of your nervous system being like jacked up, your body is going to get the message like, I have to bail. Bailing is the only way that's going to make me feel better instead of just sitting with it and letting yourself kind of come back down. So I agree, Chris, like, and it's hard, right? Like we're people in bright programs, you're meeting us for the first time. You might not know us. You're, you you don't know who to trust. Like schools are their big schools, right? But we are just here to be helpers. And even if a parent can text me or call me and say, hey, like Johnny texted me from class, what should I tell him? I can, you know, say to you, yeah, tell him to come to Bridge. Tell him to come to Bright so that you don't feel like you can't talk to your student. But that you can, we could work together through this. I love it because after that gets reinforced, like it usually starts to work out better. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's key. All right, we have time, I think, for maybe one or two more things. Good. So yeah. I'm gonna transition us, but parents, I'm just gonna remind you, we're here for you. So email us or call us if, if something comes up that you feel you need some advice on. You know, I do wanna just, quickly talk about this because oftentimes one of the things that kids are most nervous about is that they can feel like the game is rigged against them, right? Mm -hmm. so let's say Johnny, again, I invented Johnny, so I'm just going to keep on inventing the details here. Johnny, Johnny's going to be okay. I have a good feeling about Johnny. I do too, but Johnny, yeah. but Johnny missed two months of school. Yeah. And, and you know, what? right before Johnny missed those two months, he failed a lot of tests. A lot. And Johnny, Johnny feels like he's going to get Fs no matter what happens. So yeah. what's the point? And one of the things that we do here in Beacon is we'll look at the transcript and we'll say, what's a reasonable thing to do for Johnny in light of the way that he's experiencing the world? Um, and sometimes that can mean that we we go for less classes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like, and this scares parents, so I want to be really careful with what I'm saying. But sometimes it can mean that in order to be successful in English and history, we have to let science go yeah. or, or maybe we need to say, you know what, we're going to, we are going to disenroll you from quarter two in science so that you can try in quarter three. And we're looking to cut those kinds of deals with teachers in the school in order to help Johnny to be his best self. Um, do you see that as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we want to start from a place of strength, right? We're all, we're strength based programs. So we want to work with the student and family and, and think with them about, what what they feel good about right like you said so if johnny really likes math class like let's just start with math class that's great like let's get some credit in math class and in my experience and having been a part of this network for so long and listening to other clinicians experiences people in education want to help kids right so i think the teachers and administrators like we're all people yes there are rules and policies but people want to do what's best for kids. And 
usually we can all come to some sort of agreement that helps the student earn some credit or feel good about you know some class or something they're doing in school for sure and it's scary you know i think the students and families i work with i think are the most brave and I'm always so impressed with them because you do have to sort of step off the hamster wheel a little bit to say like, you know what, like I'm going to do what's best for myself. I know my friends are all taking five classes, but I'm going to take three because that's what is going to be good for me right now. That's incredibly brave for a teenager and incredibly mature. And I think brave for parents too, who might be talking to their friends whose kids are taking a million APs and classes. So. Yeah, I really, I encourage students to do what they need, what's going to be best for them. I love what you just said. And I just want to add, I think that we as a world don't do our kids a service when we pretend that strength is the absence of problems. Mm-hmm. The kids that have it easy and they don't have that much anxiety and they're not going through something major that we know of and they can just do school. How great does that sound? They don't carry that emotional backpack of having to get here and having it be so stressful. But true strength is having that heavy backpack filled with an eating disorder, filled with anxiety, filled with whatever, mm-hmm. and knowing that you are facing school anyway. And yeah, yeah maybe we change the maybe we change the rules of school or or what it means, but that comes from a place of you being your best self and having that strength. So I like to redefine that for kids and parents because um, it's so easy to not have problems. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I agree, Chris. I think a lot of the work that we try to do in Bright programs is to really reframe things for kids and bring a new perspective or a different perspective maybe, right? School is one part of a student's life. Like, that's it. There's so much more than school. School's important, obviously, right? Like you need got to go to school, and but maybe the student is like has a passion for art. Maybe they have a passion for dancing. I don't know. There are so many other ways to be engaged in the world, also. So, yeah, you're saying right now that it's possible to be anxious in one arena of life, but not another. (laughs) So, like, I could be really stressed out and feel like I can't go to my English class anymore, but then I can totally sit with my friends and practice ballet moves in, and we're yeah. really good at it. Of course, of <laughs> course, the expectation is different, right? I mean, I think as adults, we, we realize that too. Like if you're, you know, an adult who loves being alone and reading, or no, that's not a good example. If you're an adult who loves cocktail parties, but you can't stand giving presentations at work or something, you know, like, of course, you're going to feel anxious about one and and more comfortable in the other situation. It's the expectations are totally different. And your strengths are different in each situation. So yeah, that I have the kids who cannot go to math class or English class, but they're in the cafeteria every day talking to their friends and having a great time. Like, I think some people feel like that means the student should be okay and be able to go to math class or worse that it's somehow manipulation i just don't agree right i think and i think that's why we bring it up now um lindsay you know one of my jobs is just to make sure that we're on pace for time 
<laughs> and we've only got a couple minutes left and I wanted to leave parents with a little bit of a positive story. And I think we're gonna try to do this more often than not. Um, so today, if it's okay with you, I've prepared one, but if you've got things that, you've got cases or whatever that you feel that you can chime in on this with, that would be, that'd be awesome. No. I am gonna rename my student here because I want to protect her identity. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also not even gonna tell you what year she graduated, but I will tell you that she graduated a number of years ago. And I'm gonna call her Donna. Um, so I met Donna in December. Donna had been having several panic attacks every day. And every time that she had a panic attack, she would go to a bathroom because it was a safe space where she could be alone and she would text her mom and her mom would usually come and pick her up. You might imagine how that would ultimately refer Donna to a program in the Bright Model because Donna really wasn't accessing her classes as well as she was capable of. And let me tell you, Donna is really funny and she's incredibly smart. And I think one of the things that we needed to do was we needed to say, we might not be able to control if and when you have a panic attack, but we can expose you to what's gonna happen if you make the choice, the very brave choice, to try to have that panic attack and stay. And so over the course of that year, I think I mentioned that I met Donna in December, Donna and I made a deal that if Donna showed up to the Beacon Space, and had either just had a panic attack or was getting the signs that one was coming. No ifs, ands, or buts, she got access to the space, especially in that early going. And then we negotiated what Donna was gonna try to do afterwards. And in that first month, it meant maybe there were three classes left in the day and I wanted Donna to at least try to going to one. Mm -hmm. And she got to pick which one, and if there was a test or a quiz, I would go talk to the teacher and I would get a copy and Donna would take it in the beacon space to prove that she had been prepared or whatever. Sometimes Donna wasn't in a, in a headspace where she could do that. And that was okay too, because we had talked to the teachers about it. And, and then slowly but surely, we were able to change the requirements from you're going to go to one of those classes to we're going to ask you to take 15 minutes in the beacon space and then bounce back go to wherever class the schedule had. And eventually Donna didn't even need to come to Beacon anymore when she got those signals that the panic attack was coming. And she eventually graduated our program and went on to be hugely successful. So, I don't know, does that model sound like one that you have seen many, many times before? Yes, 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 a thousand times, yes. I love that story, Chris. And I, such good work and God, Donna's lucky that <laughs> that she had Beacon and she had you. And she must have also had a parent who partnered with you. If you know, if Donna was texting her parent a lot, probably that parent had to be a part of the conversation. So kudos to that parent also. And Donna had older siblings. And I think that was important just for the story, just to say that sometimes the siblings were putting pressure on mom too to be like. You're treating her different. This isn't fair. And you know what? That's really hard, parents, too. We could do a whole nother cast just on that. On siblings, yeah. And, and think, we will. I think we will one day. I think we might. Um, but for now, parents, thank you for listening. Thanks again. Each podcast, we end Bright Spot with 15 seconds for you, our listeners, to take a few deep breaths. It's so important, and we know that we all need to make time for it. Get comfortable. We're going to try it now. If you're driving, do not close your eyes.
In just a moment, I'm going to stop speaking and go radio silent for about 15 seconds. I'll let you know when we're done. Here we go. Until next time, take care.